GM podcast. My name is Ryan Parker, and I'm joined, as always, by Matt Chamberlain. How you doing, Matt? I'm feeling so good. Well, that's good because I'm feeling less good. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Every other podcast, my team is trading super t- superstars, so we either need to stop the podcast or the Thunder need to run out of stars. Oh wait, <laughs> that happened. Wait, you saw Stephen Adams? <laughs> well, let's not talk about that. Uh, <laughs> We are on episode 42, which is crazy. We're 42 That's episodes in. We're bananas. Just, uh, but if you haven't already, make sure you follow us on Twitter at NBA Couch GM Pod. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just uh, search for Couch GM Podcast and you'll find us, like, and follow us. Um, if you haven't already, also uh, go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher and give us a rating. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate that. Matt, what happened in episode 41 people need to know about? So way back at episode 41, because we had a little time off on uh, on vacation. Banana Boat Gang. We, uh, we talked about the impact of those 2016 contracts still playing a part, hopefully for the last time, in this year's free agency. We talked about point guards and, and centers who have done surprisingly well this summer. And then finally, we threw out some uh, Westbrook trade ideas. Jinxed that. And then at the end of that, I said, hopefully no trades will go through when we're on vacation. LOL. The next day, Russell Westbrook gets traded to the Houston Rockets. What a great transition, Matt. Right into topic number one. Real quick, we want to hit on this Westbrook trade. I know it feels a little old newsy by now, but we just need to get our opinions on records. That way, if something goes right or wrong, we can say we were right or wrong. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever. I, my heart's just out on the table right now, but, so it doesn't matter. I mean, it was probably better we were on vacation down on the beach w- when this essentially went down because we didn't have to be here in Oklahoma and just feel the, the weight from like all Oklahoma media and the entire fan base crying and drowning out the Arkansas River. Yeah, I mean that's what pretty much happened here here at my apartment. <laughs> I like I like stood up. I was on the couch when I got the news. I literally stood up and started running around the apartment. I was in shock. <laughs> like I was in utter shock. Just stomping around, scaring the dog. Yeah, I was like uh, my mother-in-law was in town. I think I freaked her out a little bit with how much <laughs> how crazy I was going. Um, but it. it you know, I, I'm surprised by a couple of things that happened on this trade, and we're about to talk about it because the details are for this trade are wild to me. Uh, let's just lay it out right now. Westbrook goes to Houston in exchange for CP3, two future first round picks, and two future pick swaps. Yep, that's a lot. Was CP3 like that bad? So it brings up. You know, the big question, was CP3's contract really that bad in comparison to Westbrook's? And was CP3's skill level really that much less than Russell Westbrook's? So, my interpretation right now, obviously Houston's going to be good for the next couple years. I'd say probably even three or four. It's past that. So, really, these like two pick swaps... Maybe the second one ends up being worthwhile for the Oklahoma City to Thunder to actually like use, but that first one's kind of just a dud. Like, there's, I'm assuming there's very little chance in the next two years Oklahoma City is going to be better than Houston, right? 
I don't know. I mean, like, there's so much that happened two years. If I told you two years ago that Toronto was going to be the NBA champion, would you believe me? Probably not. But I, I see what man. your point. I see your point, though. Like the the likelihood that Houston is going to be a competitor in the next two years with James Harden on his contract, Russell Westbrook on his massive contract, yeah, well. they're probably going to be a playoff team. Yeah, and I'm assuming Oklahoma City either isn't or is a worse playoff team. So why right. would they? So why would they swap? So okay, maybe one of those is mute, but the two future firsts. Again, kind of assuming their picks 24 and later. Obviously, like you just said, they could be higher than that. Maybe late uh, lottery or, or even somewhere in that late teens. So there's still like potential for those to be like decent picks. But if I'm thinking about this from Houston's perspective, you're giving up probably two picks in the mid-20s and maybe a pick swap. That's It's a still... Maybe a touch rich, but not totally off the wall. I mean, I don't think so. Like, I think the evidence is going to be in the pudding when CP3 is all of a sudden playing games for the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? If he plays games for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think he has to. Does he? Does uh, he? Who's taking on that contract? I Did you see Anthony Davis just sit down for... I mean, that's true. He could sit, but, like, isn't that just going to devalue him more? Or rest him. <laughs> I mean, he's maybe, old. Maybe. I think his market is probably going to be pretty good. Kind of like the idea we had talked about in this next summer mm-hmm. um, with Russell Westbrook in the last episode of the podcast. Was like, well, you know, the free agent class was pretty good this summer. Probably not going to be that big of a market for Westbrook. Apparently there was. Uh, and then CP3 could very easily be one of the best quote-unquote free agents in the next summer, maybe even yeah. a trade de- deadline type of free agent person. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of... I'm in shock. Yeah, I know. Still. I'm still in shock. Well, and, and that's a... You've raised a big point. How much is Chris Paul really going to play for Oklahoma City? Even if he's on the roster, how much is he actually going to play? Are they going to load manage him? Whether it's his choice or not? I, if I'm Chris Paul, I'm asking for load management. I mean, like, given that he hasn't said anything or showed up to a presser yet or anything like that. Makes you wonder how much he really <laughs> wants to be there. Yeah. Playing with, like, Andre Robertson and Like, could you Harris imagine CP3 walking to the locker room, looking around for a second and going, who's this guy? <laughs> Hamu? H- Hamu? <laughs> Diallo? Yeah, I know, right? So, no, I'm going back to And just ones. walking. It's like that Simpsons. Uh, yeah. Jeff, like, old man just walks in, turns around, and walks back out. Um, so, yeah, like, it makes me wonder how much he's really going to play for this team, um, whether that's trade or, or just on the team and not active. Um, or at least, even like Anthony Davis, he, you know, he might play a, a couple quarters, and then he's done for the game after 20 minutes. So I do really wonder, like, how that situation will get handled, on the team or not. Because it all gets back to what is Oklahoma City's expectations for this year. They expect to make the playoffs. He's playing. <laughs> Whether he wants to or not. Yeah, he's, he's going to be playing like 40 minutes game too. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> maybe 35. Um, but still way too much for him at this point. Or if you're saying like we're okay going back to a rebuild type of year, then I'm really not looking to play Chris Ball much and not because he's going to drastically impact winning but 
I I think it kind of helps trade value at on a certain level because everyone knows Chris Paul doesn't want to be there, right? Yeah. So and you don't want to get him injured. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's my point here is Chris Paul getting hurt is untradeable straight up because then it's the John Wall situation, no right. matter really how bad it is. But if Chris Paul is just I'm resting. I know this isn't my my playoff team. I know I'll get to a playoff team. You can convince whether it's a Miami Heat or someone else that's vying for a playoff spot that needs a Chris Paul type to give give up a lot and go get him. So I think it's it's possible that he really doesn't see much action. But one last thing before we move on to our bigger topic, just because we know this is a little bit older news, is do you think Houston's done making moves? That's a good question. Because for, for the off season, do you think they're done making moves? Because it feels like they have Daryl has like one more move in him. I know, right? Like it doesn't feel like okay, Westbrook plus Harden plus guys you've had for the last like two or three years. It doesn't feel like they're they're quite done. I don't know, but I don't. Yeah. Uh, they're so their salary cap situation now is kind of mm-hmm. a nightmare. So like I don't know who else they're moving or who else they would move. I'd say obviously you have like big name free agents like those aren't available anymore. It's right. fringe guys, it's rotation guys. But you're right, it's it's trades, and you know we can throw out Bradley Beal's name and whoever else at this point. But I'm not sure if that's in the cards this off season. But you know, like you were saying, he always does something. So this maybe more December or like when the trade deadline comes around. You know, it's it still wouldn't be shocking to see and Eric Gordon and Clint Capella packaged for something. Like, I think that's still in the cards. Yeah. Like, I, it's kind of weird. Like, if you think about it, like, their starting lineup could be three guards. It could yeah. be Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon, James Harden. And then you... PJ get, and Clint Capella. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's what they're going to do. It like, is. Like, it's just straight up what they're going to do because their backups, like, mainly are Austin Rivers, Daniel House, like... Like, all their backups are guards, too. It's just right. what they do, and it makes sense for their system. But it does make you wonder, like, are they going to try and bring in someone a little bit bigger? You know, they, they haven't necessarily brought back Fareed yet. They haven't re-signed Shumpert. So are those guys still in the mix, or are they going to wait out a little bit? I don't know, but you're right. I think I agree with your sentiment. Houston's not done, but this very clearly is telling us where they're trying to go this year. Like everyone else, they think they can win the championship. I mean, they had the most continuity. Like, yeah, like bef- enough <laughs> before the tr- Westbrook trade, and they might still might have the most because Westbrook and Harden have played together. I'll say four starters coming back, and then yeah, Harden and Westbrook have played together, and you brought back a good part of your bench. So you're right. I don't know. Maybe Houston is someone that we're not talking enough about in terms of hierarchy in the Western Conference or NBA, but. We will do that on a later podcast Yeah, uh, of getting into all that. What we want to get into now, though, and this is our big topic. We just want to throw the Westbrook stuff out there. What we're going to start doing um, over the next few weeks is uh, doing two pods per week, each time focusing on a different division within the NBA. So we'll start with the Atlantic, just because I like going in alphabetical order. Um, so our second podcast for this week will focus on one from the west so we'll go east at the beginning of the week west at the end of the week depending on when you're listening to it um with each of these teams though what we'll look at is uh their their current roster knowing that free agency is basically done 
I mean, we said fringe guys are still out there, but roster's basically done. Broad projections and outlooks, we're not ranking 1 to 16 in the East yet, but kind of where we think they're going. And then point out some like notable or breakout players or, or situations for these teams without assuming any more major injuries. Obviously, we have to factor in like the Durant injury or the Clay injury when we get to those teams. But we're assuming Kimba's not going to get hurt in game five with a broken leg. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the idea we're going to have as we walk through today, the Atlantic Division. And then subsequently, Northwest later this weekend, and then so on, so on, so on. What a garbage nomenclature for these <laughs> divisions. I know, right? Like, one, why do we have divisions? Um, That's a two, great point. How did they decide to split up these divisions? And then three, why do we have divisions? <laughs> again, making that point again on purpose. Why? Um, but yeah, let's get into this. All right. I w- let's start with your Boston Celtics. Again, it's not favoritism. It's just alphabetical order. Sure, um, sure. And I know the alphabet. Um, <laughs> so, so we'll say where they were last season, and then we'll get into their projected depth chart. So last season, Boston had a record 49-33. Kind of disappointing for what we all thought, um, including you and I. And had a second round exit. Um, did not look good against Milwaukee after game one. So got to figure that out (laughs) (laughs) i mean four straight losses i i I think you and i are familiar with that at this point (laughs) um so so obviously the season didn't end the way boston wanted and they've very much revamped um large portions of this roster a little bit of continuity though so the projected starters for boston assuming reasonably good health would be a newly signed kimba at point guard jalen brown and jason tatum on the wings along with Gordon Hayward, and finally Ennis Cantor at center. Because we're going to get into Boston center situation. It's not good. It ain't Yikes. good. Now, I feel decent, though, about this team's backups. Um, either it's just because young guys with talent or just solid role players. So it looks like the backup point guards will be Carson Edwards and Brad Wanamaker. So... If Carson Edwards, you know, he's a rookie, he might struggle. Wanamaker can step in and just be, like, consistent. Or if you just need shot making, Carson Edwards will do that. If you watch Summer League, you saw it. Backup two guard right now is looking something like Marcus Smart and Javante Green. Backup small forwards looking something like Shimmy Ojale and Romeo Langford. He's got to learn how to shoot, though, so we'll <laughs> see about that. Got that. May have that ping pong paddle permanently taped to his left hand. And then at power forward, our backups are looking something like Grant Williams and Daniel Tice, I really like Grant Williams. Grant Williams and, is going to be a good NBA player. And then uh, at center behind Cancer, we'll have Vincent Poirier, who he's been a professional player in France for the last several years. He's coming over to the United States this year. And Robert Williams, our, our big man project. That's still a very much work in progress. So that's the projected depth chart, 15-man roster there for Boston. And I'm not going to say I feel great about it. But I don't feel bad about it. I feel like this team could be not the worst. Like it's like it just puts Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown where they wanted to be last season. Yeah, with a with the roles. Like these are the guys. Like need need you to score. Yeah, Go do it. Um, so that's why like a general projection outlook for this team. 
upside is probably the three seed. More realistic is probably more something towards the five or six. Um, with the potential to reach the second round based on their particular matchup in the first round of the playoffs. If they, you know, have a good draw, I could see them getting there. If they somehow get matched up with a, a Philly type or, you know, if Brooklyn's really hitting, then, then it might end in the first round this year. But I think this is a playoff team. Just bottom line, I think it's a playoff team. Oh, absolutely. I don't know how good, but playoff team. With how bad the East is. Yeah, like people, like someone's got to make the playoffs. Right. You got Brad Stevens still, Kimball Walker's still a good player. Like he took that Charlotte team to almost the playoffs. I think so, Kemba and Brad Stevens' system is going to be dangerous. It's going to be very fun because, and Danny Ainge was, has talked about this, he feels Kemba's kind of somewhere between Isaiah Thomas and, and Thomas and Kyrie Irving. He's not quite either. He's somewhere in the middle of them. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hands, but he's used to it. He enjoys scoring, but he's a willing passer still. So we'll, I'm very interested to see how Kemba works with this team. And so that then kind of leads us into what or who to watch for for this team. So one, it's Kemba adjusting to a new point guard role because this is not going to be the same as Charlotte. Is Okay, so my question for you, just pivoting off this, I know we're going to go on a classic couch game That's fine. tangent here. We always do. Is Jason Tatum and like Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown is are those the best players Kemba's ever played with? Like full stop. Um probably. Probably because even early I think he had Al Jefferson, but that was like Al Jefferson was still good, but de- obviously declining at that point. So probably like just in terms of pure talent, I would say so. You can look at some other guys like Batum was pretty good in like that his first year in Charlotte and stuff. That's why he got the big deal he got. Yeah. But in terms of just pure talent, I would say assuming Hayward is at least back or close to back to Utah Gordon Hayward, he's the best player he's ever played with. Assuming Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can take some sort of a step, yeah. That like just yes. So if Kimbo could get Charlotte to the playoffs in two of those years he was there and almost to the playoffs basically every other year, <laughs> you got to think, like, this can work out. Yeah. And I think, like, something interesting, I know we're going to go off on a Kimba tangent, like I said, but he had an interview with Jackie McMullen. It was really interesting. Did you get to see that? A little bit. He, Jackie McMullen straight up essentially asked him, like, these young guys, like, they think they should be something that maybe they're not quite earned yet. How do you approach that? And he was like, well, there's a way to do it. And there's a way to do it right. Kind of taking a shot at Kyrie. Yeah. And I was like, man. Oh, Boston's been firing shots at Kyrie. I love like, it. All off season. Like, I could see Kemba being a sneaky MVP candidate this year. Yeah. If he's putting up 25 plus points per game, six assists, and four rebounds, and a steal and a half, and Boston's, you know, that classic Brad Stevens team where it looks like they they should probably be the five or six somehow end up at the three. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see it. It's it's kind of off in the distance a little bit, but it's within the realm of reason. So that it gives you a little bit of hope for like what this Boston team can build towards. Maybe starting that building this year and hopefully seeing more next year, but again, I think it could be a a good fun youngish team. Then the second point then is like we started to mention a little bit the possible reemergence of Gordon Hayward. Is this 
ever going to happen again. Because <laughs> I want so badly to see, not from just a Boston fan perspective, just from a basketball fan, I want to see Gordon Hayward back. I mean, he was so good in Utah. Like, he got that Utah team. Like, you go back and look at those rosters. Not great. There were no, there was nobody on that roster. And that was really just as Rudy Gobert was starting to come into his own. There was no Donovan Mitchell there. Right. Like, this, yeah, those weren't great teams by really any stretch of the imagination. Yet like, they were in the playoffs. Yeah. And that's the crazy part. And, like, Gordon Hayward was qu- quietly a star out in Utah, just doing his thing, being a point forward. Yeah. And, like, it's really sad that this – it really never came to, together with Boston with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie because that could have been special. But it normally takes about a year for these yeah. serious injuries. I mean, it took Paul George over a year to get back, mm-hmm. and now he's a top 15 player in the league. Yeah. And and I don't know if Gordon Hayward will reach quite that. But if he can kind of reestablish himself as, like, a top 30 guy yeah. this year and really embrace that point forward role – whether that's getting looks for Kimba going off screens, Jalen Brown going off screens, finding Jason Tatum in like just good spots for catch and shoot opportunities. Like he can really I mean realistically average five, maybe even six assists per game. Like if Gordon Hayward comes out and is ninety percent of Utah Gordon Hayward averages like fifteen, six and six and is like consistent every night, like I'd be super happy with that. Because I don't need Gordon Hayward to score 25 points. I need Gordon Hayward to just do everything well. Yeah. And that's kind of, like that's that would be the perfect fit in this system. And that's, I think, what Brad Stevens wanted him to be at the beginning of last season. He just wasn't quite there. We saw, like, when Boston was really Boston, mm-hmm. there were glimpses of it, but he could never sustain it. So hopefully it's not like, oh, he goes for... 28 and 6 one night and then it's like down to like 10 on and then he takes four shots in the next yeah. game that it just it was so tough to watch sometimes but then ultimately this gets back to probably the biggest point for Boston this year is what are the next steps for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum I'm using a, a life church term here what are the next <laughs> steps uh, because ultimately whether Gordon Hayward's getting to be that point forward or not, whether Kimba's getting to to be a point guard but also running off screens. All this really depends to me on what's Jalen Brown going to do this year, what's Jason Tatum going to do this year. Because if they're just stuck as 14 to 16 points per game, four to five rebounds, two to three assists, that this team is not a, above a six seed. Yeah. So what do you think is semi-realistic for... Jalen Brown this year I think he could be a candidate I know this is another long far out term but like ideally you would like to see him in defensive player of the year conversations this year at least like maybe talked about for like second team yeah all NBA defense yeah definitely talked about maybe getting some votes um and just scoring Hitting, hitting shots, playmaking. Mm. If that's maybe even him running the second unit with Marcus coming off the bench as point guard. Yeah. Um, you just need to see some sort of... And he was good. Like, quietly, he was good at the yeah. end of last year. Like, no, he was bad at the beginning, but he figured it, was it like out. last, like, two, three months. Like, it was good. He was good. And, like, the issue is you just hope he is great. Yeah. Like, that's the next step, right? Like, he's 
an all over the place defender. Yeah. Like you like when you're watching it's like, where's Jalen? Is he is that is that him trailing? Oh, he just missed another three. Okay, yeah, yeah that was him. Yep. Um no, less of that, more like, holy crap, that's that that that's his like third steal in like five possessions. Yeah. I think realistically in terms of stats for Jalen Brown, like to take that next step, it's something like eighteen points, six rebounds, because our, our rebounding is going to be weak this year, yeah. like, knowing it's really just Cantor in there. So, like, 18, 6, 2.5 assists, and then, like, a steal, a steal and change per game. And you're right, in that defensive, like, conversation, for like, wow, this guy is clearly their best wing defender and, and acts like it every night. Like, that's the step for Jalen. Slightly uptick in scoring getting in there on rebounds and being that defender we we know he can be like, yeah we've seen him do it in the playoffs it's just every single night it's hard to do it it is i mean Mar- marcus like he does it every night but he has that like mentality hopefully jalen brown has kind of developed that yeah. this summer or can develop that uh when he's locked in the way he is i think the next person you probably want to talk about is your boy jason tatum i know right because again what's like a next step for him because we saw that that rookie year and everyone went bonkers including me yeah and then the second year it's not that he didn't have a good season it just he wasn't kobe bryant by year two and everyone just threw their hands up and it's like what's wrong with jason tatum it's that he's in his second year in the nba and we all thought he was going to be kobe bryant that's what's wrong (laughs) well i think that was the thing with all the second year dudes like ben simmons we've kind of thrown our hands up even though he's third year we'll get past that donovan mitchell was kind of the same way yeah and like his team made the playoffs and like he kind of got a pass because there's no one really else on that team that could help him but like he didn't really play all that great no. throughout the year. Consistent was not necessarily a word you would associate with him. Yeah, with any of those second-year guys. And I think that's hard. It's like you see all these rookies just like, man, these guys are great. Mm-hmm. These are the next stars in the NBA. Yeah. And then year two, you have such high expectations because as rookies, you just want production. Yeah. Like that's all you want, like some form of Show production. Show me you belong on an NBA court. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, when it happens so quick, we all get this expectation of, like, oh, these guys are next Kevin Durant, next Kobe Bryant, next whoever. And, like, I think that expectation game with Jason Tatum is going to be a big thing this next season. Yeah. So, I, I totally agree. And, I, like, the, the high-end projections are Jason Tatum is either one of the last guys to, to make the all-star team or he's at least in very serious discussions to make the all-star team. Like, that's, like the hope for Jason Tatum. But that would mean, like, Jason Tatum stat-wise, he's got to be something, like, he's got to hit 20 points per game, I think, if he wants that kind of accolade. And then he's just he's not the defender that Jalen Brown is. And I think that does limit him because he's also not the playmaker Gordon Hayward is. So he's really just got to be, like, that knockdown scorer, whether it's in ISO or catch-and-shoot threes or finding mismatches in the post. Like, Jason Tatum just has to be like that basically elite-level scorer. I don't know if he can make the All-Star team at just really 20 points and then slightly below league average rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks for a wing. But if he can be like that prohibitive, like, number one or 1B scorer because you have Kimba, you know, like, that, that's got to be it. 
like as his next step is yeah just just be a consistent shooter consistently like don't pass up open shots like if it's a good shot and it was within the flow of the offense take it and hit it like because last year he just he would pass it almost to a point like just because he didn't want to make the mistake of like taking the bad shot it's like sometimes though you you gotta know like this is a good shot for me it was within the flow yeah it's from 14 feet away and coach steven says this is generally not a good shot but if you're open you're open points are points at some point shooters shooters shoot yeah like end of the day like and if he's trying to you know take that step as like i am an elite scorer in the nba sometimes if it's open you gotta take it or if you got the mismatch you gotta take it to that defender whether it's a big on the perimeter or a, or a smaller guy in the post, take it to him. You know, I enjoy kicking it out, passing out, finding a, another guy. But if you're there, I mean, you got to go for it on some level. You have to. Yeah, you got to take it. And I think another thing, like, just, like, he's got to finish around the rim a little bit better. Yeah, he does. Like, that's one thing that always surprised me watching Jason Tatum is, like, he missed just a lot of layups. He does. It's like... Even, like, any semblance of big man help in the lane. And it's, like, he he just tries to overcompensate for help that may not necessarily even be there. They're just, like, it's just someone in the area, and he adjusts his shot unnecessarily. Like, it's very obvious. And sometimes it's just, like, no, dude, you're just so talented. Just, like, take it up and over him. Or get to the free throw line, because you're an 80% free throw shooter. It's crazy. It's, like... He forgot he dunked all over LeBron in the Eastern Whoa! Conference Finals. I still go back and rewatch that sometimes. <laughs> I don't blame you. And, like, he just needs to do that more. Just go up strong with it, and good things are going to happen. Just Kimba just needs to leave that on repeat for him. Yeah. Just remind him when, he's, when he stops doing that. You can yam. You can do this, dude. Yeah. I, uh, think, I think Boston's going to be fascinating to watch this They year. will be. They're going to be an interesting experiment. So the next team then, and again, we're just going to go in alphabetical order here. It's going to be Brooklyn. So, obviously, the, the big free agency team this year, right? Last season, they went 42-40. and 40. They were a lot, of, a lot of people's darling team. Hey, that's um, me. <laughs> right here. We have both sides of the table covered. Um, had a, a, a first-round exit against Philly. Gave them a decent fight, um, but, but ultimately got bounced. What they're projected to have as a as a starting lineup this year, knowing the free agency moves, but also the injury then to Kevin Durant. Otherwise, this would look slightly different. What it's going to be is something like Kyrie at point, Karis LeVert at the two guard, Joe Harris at the three, uh, Rodonis Kirks at the four, and Jarrett Allen at the five. Your boy! I still anybody get me an explanation on why that dude was playing in summer uh, league? So I heard this one report, and it wasn't widely um, broadcasted, but it was some from from someone at ESPN. Was he was kind of just there, and he's like, "Hey, I want to play," and so they're like, "All right, oh, what? <laughs> okay, one, say no, <laughs> you're not." I mean, obviously he looked really good out there, but yeah, he made it all, all like all first team. Played in like two games because <laughs> um, he's an NBA starter. And then uh, the backups for this team, again, you, you, I think they need one more uh, ball handler, but backups are going to look something like Spencer Dinwiddie, Garrett Temple, and David Nwaba at backup guard positions. Torian Prince, um, Dejan Musa, Wilson Chandler, and then whenever Kevin Durant comes back, that's kind of your forwards. 
and then their center position behind Jared Allen, assuming Jared Allen's starting, is DeAndre Jordan and then their draft pick, Nick Claxton. So a team with actual depth. I didn't expect, you know, knowing like they were going to go get Kyrie and Kevin Durant, I didn't expect this team to walk away with as much depth as they actually are, which that's a, a credit to the, what they've built going into free agency, though. Yeah, I mean, they didn't really, I mean, they to get Kevin Durant, essentially, they traded away someone they weren't needing to sign. Yeah. Um, and uh, they've done a great job of finding dudes like Joe Harris is all of a sudden a starter. And, like, yeah. he was not even, a like, on a roster. Like, uh, yeah, like three years ago. Uh, which is crazy. Good for them. Uh, I think their backup center position is going to be something really interesting to watch because... Is DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan good? No. No, he's not. He's <laughs> the answer is no. Nick Claxton should be getting most of those <laughs> minutes, and he's not going to. No. Um, he needs to play. If if they're legit playing Jared Allen 30 minutes a game and DeAndre the other 18, they just need to send Nick Claxton to Long Island, their G League team, because that dude just needs to play to get better. Or um, just trade him. Like, get something for him. No, you, don't, you can't do that. Um, not yet, anyway. Um, but like they've brought in Wilson Chandler, uh, aside from DeAndre Jordan, they they brought in Torian Prince via trade for Alan Crabb. They brought in David Nawaba and Garrett Temple, and obviously Kyrie. Uh, that's just like a really solid haul of useful players this year. And so, obviously, I think we're all going to predict a better record this coming season for them. Um, like Boston, they're probably somewhere between a three and a six um, seed. Maybe they're more real, realistically in the three, four, five, and then the six is like a worst case scenario for yeah. them. Again, assuming good health, with the potential to reach the second round based off of their matchups. Uh, but I think I would at this point I'm I'm higher on this Brooklyn team than I am the Boston team. If I'm trying to be objective here, sure. If I'm if I'm not, then I'm saying Boston's winning a championship. But, <laughs> uh, but being objective, like this is a really strong team. Yeah, I mean, I saw, I think, a couple tweets about the players leaving the Nets roster, all, like, guys who were, like, a plus rating for them on the mm-hmm. floor. There was, like, eight guys who all of a sudden's no longer on this team who was a yeah. plus rating for this team. I mean, you're losing, like, good value pieces, like Ed Davis, for example. Like, yeah. You're losing some guys, like, for sure. But you've done a pretty good job replacing them, I, as well as you really can with still getting the stars you did. Like, most teams can't do both. Right. You do one or the other, but not both. And so, like, that's a credit to Brooklyn for figuring out how to manage that this offseason. So, good on them. So, we've talked about their potential broad projection outlook. So, then this is the big points of what to watch for. It's one we've, we've hinted at in past pods, but we'll get into it a little now. Kyrie mixing with this team. I mean, that's it's really the bottom line of how good this Nets team is going to be. Is it going to be a three seed that legitimately makes it to the second round and pushes Milwaukee or Philly in that spot? Or are they just kind of be like a nice team that has some roller coaster ups and downs? So what's your idea for Kyrie with in Brooklyn? I'm sorry, I've seen this movie once before <laughs> and it didn't end well. And that's why Kyrie's now in Brooklyn. I just like see this team being like a five. Is the sequel ever better than the no. like, original? Except for Back to the Future 2. Okay. Uh, no, like this is like just going to be, I think this year is going to be pretty turbulent for the Nets. 
we're gonna get some reports like mid February that Kyrie's not happy about something, and like there's gonna be rumors of the co- coach getting fired. I'll tell you, it's gonna be very different for Kyrie the first time Kenny Atkinson yells in his face, because I can't think of really the last time Kyrie had a coach like that. Because in the NBA, like he's gone through feels like five different guys already and he's only like in his mid-20s um but Kenny Atkinson like lovingly will yell at you and it's it's just gonna be slightly different than how Brad Stevens did it and is Kyrie gonna react well to that is he gonna see like he's doing this because he wants better for this team or is he gonna see it as who the hell is this guy yeah, I mean, that's kind of the question. Is like, what's Kyrie's mental space going to be? Is he going to be posting about the Illuminati? Yes, just, yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just so, I am very nervous for this Nets team. Like, they've built up to get this, like, it feels like they won the lottery, but also it feels like they could have just lost the lottery because they got Kevin Durant with the asterisks because he yeah. tore his Achilles. Yeah, I mean, because you don't want to stunt the young player. And that's like kind of the second point that builds into this is the young pieces proving their worth as starters or valuable role players that, that will make an impact in the playoffs. So like Karis LeVert, he was having that all-star type season. He got hurt. He came back and by the playoffs, like he was better than D'Angelo Russell. Straight up, he was. Joe Harris, like you mentioned, become a very productive player. Obviously three-point specialist. But he like... He's not like Kyle Korver, Bill. Like, he's he's thick. Yeah. He can play defense. He's tall. So, it's like, Joe Harris is, is going to be a useful player, really, no matter what. It's really just, are you going to pass the ball or not? And then, like, Kurek's really started to come on at the end of the year. Like, this energizer wing who, if he can just work on that three-point shooting just a little more, he's going to be super valuable next to Jared Allen. You have, like, Spencer Dinwiddie, who really started to come on being healthy. It's just... Will these young guys prove like they are are worth starting? Can like Jared Allen be like, I'm gonna be so good, you you can't start DeAndre Jordan over me. Is it gonna be like that level, or is it just gonna be, we're just good young players, happy to be here? Right. Because if that's your mentality, Kyrie Irving's gonna just piss all over you, <laughs> right? And if but if they're really stepping up, then this could be like a team like Kyrie's like, okay, young fellas, let's do this. Yeah, I mean like Spencer. I think it's going to be interesting for, like, the Spencer Dinwiddies and, like you said, Karis LeVert. Like, those guys have been really good for before enter Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie's going to have to change, I think, his leadership mentality to make this thing gel this year. Yeah, probably. Because, I mean, the Nets have such a good structure already. Yeah. That you, you would hope to say, like, we can bring in Kyrie. It's kind of like the Patriots thing almost. Like, we can bring in troubled wide receiver X, <laughs> and we're going to make him good and make everyone think, like, oh, this this guy's turned a, a page. And really, it's like, well, maybe not, but we make it look <laughs> like it. Like, do the Nets have that level of infrastructure? Probably not. But if it's anything close to it, maybe it's only tweaks. Because if it's tweaks, I think Kyrie can do it. Yeah, if you're asking him to overhaul his mentality about basketball, then good luck. I'm gonna say no. He's gonna, he's just gonna say no with the straightest face, <laughs> like ever. Flat Earth, right? Yeah, I know, right? Just keep that that jawline just as flat as can be. Just, no, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I mean, like this is. I think they're probably. 
the best team, second best team in this division this year? Probably second best. If you're assuming they're better than Boston, then they're probably the second best team, yeah. And then they make the playoffs and whatever that means from there, wherever they end up in seeding, yeah. they might host home two home games, maybe. Yeah. I think Brooklyn's, as, a, as an organization, I was really looking to, to take that step of moving on in the playoffs. You're not just getting bounced in the first round anymore. You don't go make those moves, assuming that's your, your same exit point. Yeah. So let's get on to a team that, that's not going to be on a playoff oh, conversation. buddy. They may want to be, but they ain't. So what up, Knicks? Um, last season, uh, a troubling 17-65 and 65 record. Third place in the draft lottery, if you want to look at it that way. You know, to go 17-65, and 65, trade your best player away and, and get the third pick. It's when good. you thought you were getting Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and Anthony Davis. I'm sorry, that's the worst year ever in it's your so franchise. Good. It's so funny. Um, and it's Cantor, and after he got introduced in Boston, he had, a, he had an interview with uh, the local MSNBC um, station up there and the podcast there. And uh, they asked him, like, you know, what was going through your mind when you were watching the draft lottery? Just because they know he played for the Knicks and all, and there was some, a little animosity there. And he's like, I'm just saying I was really glad the Knicks only got the third pick. <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah, Ennis Cancer. That's what I'm talking about. Um, bring amazing. me the pettiness. And then the number 11 jersey. Um, That's amazing. Boston, yeah. Which, uh, again, aside, he said he, he really didn't think of it as like a taunt um, initially. He just saw like a kid covered up the Irving on his jersey with a piece of tape Cantor. and wrote Cantor. And so he's like, you know what? I want to do that. <laughs> and uh, they, he joked that uh, he's going to have the most jerseys in, this, in the stadium this year. <laughs> so uh, and anyway, let's get back to the Knicks. So projected starters for them. Dennis Smith Jr., R.J. Oh Barrett, oh Kevin Knox, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. Hold on, hold on. Let me fix this for you. Are you ready for this? So we got R.J. Barrett starting at the point guard. This, have, this might actually happen. So. We have Julius Randle <laughs> starting at the two guard. Marcus Morris at the three, because why not? Bobby Portis at the four, and then Mitch Robinson at the five. Are you sure Taj Gibson is not going to start? No, he's the backup, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God, you're killing me. $57 million in power forwards. That that really is great. How they paid Julius Randle, Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, and Dodge Gibson this summer. That's really just fantastic to me. It's like they forgot they had Mitchell Robinson on their roster and Kevin Knox. This is so Nixie, and I love it. Um, Let's assume, though, they're a reasonably competent franchise for half a second here and assume they have a decent starting lineup here. Honestly, if you're just going from a we're tanking and we're looking to develop talent, that's really not a terrible lineup to throw out there. It's not good like, by any means. But in terms of like a we're trying to develop good young players and see what we got here, I, I'm not totally against this. I mean, like you got to think, Dennis Smith Jr. coming up close to the end of his rookie contract. Yeah, he's got something to prove. So he's got something to prove. R.J. Barrett said he's wanted to be a Nick forever. All right, just go play. Yep, let's just, see it. Kevin Knox, hopefully you can take a step in your second year because yeah. good lord, you He's were a top not ten pick. You were not an efficient player last year. Oh. <laughs> Julius Randle, okay, maybe your best signing. Yeah, oh for sure. Uh, maybe your best offseason move in the last like five years. Ooh. <laughs> and Mitchell Robinson, 
All right, show us something. You yeah. were maybe one of the best centers, young centers in the league last year as a rookie. Can you stop fouling so much? Yeah. Can you stay in the game until the fourth quarter, please? Oh my gosh. Not foul in the second quarter. Um, but yeah, so it's like there's like a clear next step for like all these guys. Like yeah. they have like there's logical like projections in a positive way. It's just is there anyone on this team that can help another teammate take that step, or are they all just fighting each other for for who's going to get to be the guy who's going to take the next step? So that's a, that's an issue, but real quick, what their depth chart's looking like. So at point guard, something like Alfred Payton and Frank Nilakita. At shooting guard, Alonzo Trier and Damian Dotson. At small forward, you have Reggie Bullock, oh but he, he's out. So you got Wayne Ellington and Iggy Brasdakis, their second-round pick. Backup bigs, you got Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, <laughs> Taj Gibson. Arrange that however you choose. But that's that's the idea of this team. Again, we can we can hit on why did you go sign so many experienced big men? Um, but I'm just gonna leave it alone. I I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, but even so, or even you throw Wayne Ellington in there. Like, why did you go sign Wayne Ellington? Um, it just kills me. Wayne Ellington, I mean, I get it, take the money, but the Knicks, what are you doing? Anyway, so with this team, what I'm really seeing is we got, for the most part, a lot of young wings who need shots and need playing time, can't play them all at once. You've got a lot of experienced bigs and then one project guy or project guy, Mitchell Robinson. And, I mean, the experienced guys want to play, the young guys need to develop, you Again, got to figure out who's playing. I feel like they almost have, like, too many dudes who need to play to develop on this team. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I kind of get your point there. Like, because realistically, like, Dennis Smith Jr., RJ Barrett, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, Alonzo Trier, Frank Nilakita, Iggy Brasdakis. I would even throw, like, Bobby Portis in there still. Yeah. And you could possibly throw Julius Randle in there. Like, all the guys need to play just because they're still needing to get, like, significantly better in the NBA. And then Taj Gibson and Marks Morris are just like, hey, like, can I play too? No. Nope. Can't. Maybe. And hear me out on this. Don't sign those guys. Woo! (laughs) Um, Or don't take the money. Uh, So, and yeah, so Fizdale's going to have quite the management situation on his hands. It's not going to be about X's and O's this year. It's about managing dudes and, and, like, their personal expectations within, like, the confines of the team. That's going to be Fizdale's biggest thing this year. Because if he can make them work together, like, you can say, like, we have this core moving forward. But if these guys just hate each other in January, you got some real issues here. Because you're going to lose games. <laughs> yeah. Losing sucks. Yeah. It's not going to be fun when you're getting beat up in Utah in the middle yeah. of December. I'll say, RJ Barrett, you just had a really good year at Duke in terms of wins and losses. I know you didn't win a championship, but you had a really good year in terms of wins and losses. This is not going to be that. Not even close. So how does he handle that? Because I don't feel like RJ Barrett's really ever lost games. Like, yeah, that's a really good point. He took the Youth Canada team to like a gold medal over the USA. Like He doesn't lose. You're going to lose on the Knicks. So how does he handle that? We saw Kevin Knox did not handle it well. Dennis Smith Jr. has not handled it well in the past. Frank Nielakita doesn't look like he wants to touch a basketball ever again. <laughs> like these, They have not handled it well. So is like Julius Randle or Taj Gibson going to be like, no, this is how we're going to handle this. And if you're relying on Julius Randle 
for for leadership, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I like Julius Randle a lot, but that's not that's not his role on a team. I mean, you would hope like. I mean, as a coach, it's tough because you're kind of play, uh, coaching for a contract. Um, maybe they just don't even show the record in the locker room. <laughs> like, that's what you kind of got to borderline do with this Guys, young... these are all scrimmages. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't pay attention to our record. Let's play the game right and try to at least do some things, learn some good habits here. That's realistically what it should be. Is that what James Dolan wants? No. Fitz, but- I have like an over-under... That Fitzdale's not going to be the coach, and like by the All Star break. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a tough bet. I, I don't know because part of me it's like give Fitzdale a chance, but it, at a certain point, is Fitzdale going to want to be there, or are they going to be like we're not winning, we're going to fire you? But realistically, like a projection or outlook for this team should be tank. Just yeah, bottom three in the East. Cleveland and Charlotte might give you a run for your money down there, but <laughs> but that's that's the idea, right? You gotta... Who's the worst run team in the East? <laughs> They're all trying uh, real hard, but uh, that that's got to be where the Knicks are, and you know hopefully the ping pong balls go your way this time instead of I mean they went like okay like you got a top three pick, but like go even better next time. I think that's realistically where the Knicks need to be with showing a bit of promise. Yeah. I mean, that's the next step. I also think Fitzdale, going back to Fitzdale, he's going to be the coach for the Lakers in the next summer. <laughs> then why did you hire Jason Kidd as the associate? I don't know. LeBron's going to get... <laughs> are you going to fire Frank Vogel halfway through the year, have Jason Kidd the rest, and then fire him at the end of the year too? Actually, maybe. <laughs> um, that's but, not the craziest thing that would have happened oh, in the NBA in oh, the last two years. It's not. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't put money on it, but I, I don't know. Um, so what's to watch for this year besides what we've kind of brought up already um, is who is going to get traded at the deadline from this roster for the Knicks? So here's an idea while we're talking about this. Going back to the beginning of this podcast with CP3. You know what? A, good, a whole bunch of good, <laughs> whole bunch of contracts that you don't want on your roster anymore. Yep. You can send them to Oklahoma City for Chris Paul. Yep. Why would you do that? I have no idea. <laughs> but why would you sign all these power yep. forwards and big men in the first place? Yep. Um, I'll say take on Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis, and you know I don't know, like Alfred Payton and. Wayne Ellington, that just about gets you there. Or like a Frank Nielakita or something. Yeah. Like that you know, that just about gets you there. And then throw in a pick or something, a pick or two. I don't know. It depends on how these guys are playing. Um and <laughs> whatever. Uh so yeah, like this is probably a team that might do something really stupid like that because they're the Knicks. Um hopefully though the idea is Marcus Morris proves like he, he can put up numbers. He can put yeah. up stats. He's on a one-year, $15 million deal. And his idea is, I'm going to play well now. I'm gonna, he's going to get his money for this year. And at the trade deadline, he gets moved to Detroit or something. Like, I don't know. Like, somewhere where he's like, I think I can make the playoffs here. And, you know, just like a team like that. Like, I, I want to be in the playoffs. Because that's ultimately how you make money, is by getting there and showing you're worthwhile there. Yeah. And, and you know, hope to hit next free agent free agency and be like there ain't anyone else here sign me yeah and that it's not a bad strategy i mean like you gotta make your maximize your money now you're an athlete you don't know when the injury could happen or your 
career could be cut short, but you got to make the money, and then hopefully some team's just willing to figure out the money yeah, to get you to a, where you want to compete. Mm-hmm. I only threw Detroit out there because his brother signed there, and I'm assuming... You know, I know at the beginning we said, let's assume no injuries, but in this slight tangent, I'm assuming Blake Griffin gets hurt. <laughs> it just happens. Um, and that you go there and fill in and stuff. Um, or, you know, someone else like Taj Gibson or Wayne Ellington or, or if Reggie Bullock comes back okay. Like, all these guys could be, like, trade candidates. And, like, you could get something, like, useful pick-wise back, whether that's a late first or a future first with – some protection like some protections that eventually wear off i don't like you have some options if you play your cards right if you don't do what the suns did with trevor ariza you might be okay just like trade him and like as what december 15th for like nothing yeah essentially nothing so you know as long as you can handle the situations right like you can make out okay yeah but it if not, then it's going to kind of leave a lot of people wondering, like, why'd you do it? But, again, I think the idea isn't terrible. I just don't trust them to do it right from here on out. You know, classic Nick stuff. <laughs> I, I have a feeling we're going to end up with, like, a Kevin Knox trade this year for I, whatever reason. I really hope not because I just want Knox to have a chance to show me he's bad because that last year, like, that dude, he never had a chance. I mean, he was, he was playing on the worst team and one yeah. of the worst teams in the NBA. Yeah. So I, I was wanting him to have a chance to like play with like other like good, decent players and say, like, can you be at least a good piece? Yeah. Can you be a Kelly Oubre type or are you just going to fall off the map? I hope he gets a, you know, that reasonable opportunity and if he'll buy into fits and, and if most other guys will buy into fits, I think that'll reasonably come up, but also you're the, you're on the Knicks. So. Do they win more than 17 games this year? <sighs> oh, gosh. I think Cleveland's going to be worse. Okay. So I'm going to say yes. Uh, man, they're over under me is like 19 and a half. Ooh. So. That's a tough one. I don't <laughs> think they get to 20. I would say uh, I could see them like just because of the flattened lottery odds. Like, you know, the last game of the year, like, it's not going to hurt us to win, win or lose this, so let's just go for it. Let's get 20. And they and RJ Barrett just, like, takes 40 shots. Um, I don't it know. Scores, like, 20 points. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'd take. Um, I'll be nice. I'll give him 20. Um, right now, I, I might change my mind later, but for now, I'll give him 20. Just for kicks. I'm kicks sorry. You, you don't win. You don't go sign, like, 15 power forwards in the free agency. And I'm I, think you're, I think you're, like, at 17. I'll say you're still probably right around there. Like yeah. you're in that like 17 to 21 number. It's just, is it bad or really bad? It, I can see both. Let's move on off the Knicks um, to a less depressing team. Philly. Um, again, going in alphabetical order here. Last season went 51 and 31. Um, got stabbed in the heart by Kawhi in the second round. And I think they're a better team this year than last year. But I'm not completely sold on that. So this team, Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Joel Embiid. That's your starting lineup. It's a big lineup. Real big. The that, that lineup, if it works, like that might be one of the top two or three starting lineups in the league. Yeah. My, my concern, though, is this backup situation they got going on. One, because I still think you need to add a guy or two to this roster. 
maybe you're leaving those spots open to for buyout guys or, or trades or something, but this backup situation as currently constructed look, looks something like Raul Neto um, and Shake Milton as your backup point guards. Zaire Smith, James Ennis, and Matisse Thibel as your backup wings. Arrange them however you feel necessary. I think Zaire Smith will be probably the best out of them this year, though. And then your backup bigs are Mike Scott, Jonah Bolton, and Kyle O'Quinn. So, knowing, obviously, the big hitters this year were the Josh Richardson sign-and-trade with Jimmy, bringing back Tobias, bringing in Al Horford. (laughs) He did that. Um... Being able to find like minimum guys like Neto, um, bringing back James Ennis on a near minimum, Mike Scott on a low um, deal just above the minimum, Kyle O'Quinn on the minimum. Like, you did a pretty good job of building this so far. That doesn't mean I feel good about it, but it could have been worse. Like, it yeah. could have been significantly worse. Like, there were worse point guards out there than Neto. There were worse, you know, fifth bigs than Kyle O'Quinn. There were worse backup wings than James Ennis like this could have gone worse for Philly it's it's really just straight up this is a top three team in the east uh, assuming good health and all possibly competing for the one this is completely dependent on guard play just yeah beginning and end of the discussion that's all this is is Ben Simmons Josh Richardson how good are you because more in the Ben Simmons category if you're great this team's going to be great if you're fine this team's going to be the three. Yeah. Like, that's just how it's going to be. And one of those hardworking middle of the East teams is going to, you know, out jump you to the two. So let's just big questions. Can this huge lineup work? Oof. I mean, like this is, this is like turning left when the league is turning right. <laughs> I know. Right. You know, like, like this is, I don't, I don't. It feels to me like you're starting three power forwards, and I just don't I don't love it. Yeah, like it's uncomfortable to me, and maybe that's that's the benefit to Philly. It's gonna be a, uncomfortable for a lot of teams. Like, all right, so who's guarding Al Horford? Yeah, to start the game, like it's gonna be weird because no one's going this big. Everyone's going small. I think a, a lot of it. You talked about Ben Simmons. A lot of it's gonna fall on Joel Embiid too. He's got to get in shape. Yeah. yeah, so his big point is how many games slash minutes per game is realistic for Joel Embiid? Because if, if it's 60 games and 29, 30 minutes, that makes this team more of a three seed, maybe a two. But if it's 32, 33 minutes a game at 70 games, that's a one or a two. Like in yeah. the East, like it, or at least has the potential to be. So that that's a big difference of ten games, whether he's there or not, and then that extra five minutes a game with Joel Embiid out there instead of Mike Scott or Jonah Bolton. Like that's going to matter for this team, and ultimately, like what their ceiling is. Yeah, and I think like a lot of this is gonna depend on Ben Simmons' development, but. If Joel Embiid's like a borderline MVP candidate in the discussion this year, like this is, this is a dominant team. Like it could be yeah. dominant. They could run roughshod what, through the East. What works with this lineup, knowing that it's big, is Al Horford's at least a very smart defender. Yeah. Tobias Harris, 
I think he's kind of learned over his last like two, three years in the NBA. I he he's a little bit bigger guy, but he's learned how to like work around that and realize like I may not be the fastest, so I just got to be in the right positions. He's not a great defender, but like he's kind of figuring out how to be like a good team defender. Ben Simmons has all the tools to be a good defender. It's just will he do it or not every game? Because when we've seen him do it, it's just incredible. Right. And then Josh Richardson, I think, is just one of those really good defenders night in, night out. So, like, this team, like, there is defensive, like, flexibility and good team defense within this team. It's just when when player X is going bonkers, when Kimba's going nuts, will there someone be like, nope, this isn't happening anymore? I don't know if they have that kind of defender. And then on the offensive end, if Joel Embiid's not hitting shots, like, who's being like, give me the ball? Yeah. Because that's what we talked about. Like, that's what Jimmy did. Give me the ball. I'm going to go score for us right now. And he did it. Yeah. I mean, he was that guy who was like, all right, game's online. Give me the ball. Yeah. Like, get out the way. Because very clearly, Ben Simmons like, did not want it. I, I no. mean, like, he can't. Like, yeah. how, do, how do you expect a dude who doesn't have a jump shot to take the last get, jumper I mean, of the game? Again, we can get into, in practice, he hits threes. In pickup, he hits threes. But in an NBA game, he has not hit a three. So I I so badly just want to see it happen in an NBA game and, like, an actual shot, not a heave. Just to be like, this is here. Yeah. Just from, an, again, objective NBA onlooker here, I wanted to see it happen because that opens up so much for this team. If Ben Simmons can hit a jump shot, like, the spacing for Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris and Al Horford on the perimeter – it's all of a sudden, like, defenders are going to be shrugging off, like, an extra three feet from those guys than they right. normally would. Because they got to help. Like, they got to go do something for Ben Simmons. And because he's he's that good. He really is. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing is, like, if you get Joel Embiid in the post and you get uh, Ben Simmons hitting corner threes and you put him in the corner, that there's no help. You can't yeah. come down. No. Because so, then it's just a kick out easy three. Yeah, and if and he's smart enough, smart enough to where someone rotates to him, swing the ball. Yeah, like he he really can make those types of passes. So it this is ultimately on their shoulders. We we talked about it a little with Boston. Like there's a couple young youngish guys. It's on you. Like you you got good pieces around you, but it's ultimately what next step is are you going to take? Same thing here, Joel. Shape wise, what next step? Ben Simmons, shooting-wise, what's your next step? It, it's a big if, but for this team, like that's the difference between competing for a championship and just being another really, really good team in the East. Yeah, like a fun team in the regular season and then having maybe a second-round yeah. exit. Yeah, and th- that would be completely disappointing if this team got bounced in the second round again. Especially, for three straight years. Yeah, especially knowing like Brooklyn's going to be better next year. I don't know what kind of version of Kevin Durant they're going to get back, but 80% Kevin Durant's better than no Kevin Durant. I know right. that much. Yeah. So, uh, this is I'm not going to say this is the only chance, but this is maybe one of the best chances they'll ever get in the next five or six years of winning a championship. Or at least getting there. So, take advantage of it. Alright, last team. We'll wrap this up um, for our Atlantic Division breakdown <laughs> look to for the future of the 2019-2020 NBA season. Last but not least, the reigning champs, Toronto. Last year went 58-24, and like we said. 
knocked out Philly with a dagger, and then ran rough shot over Milwaukee once they got their feet back under them, and then eventually knocked off the defending Golden State Warriors. Won the chip for all of Canada. For all of Canada. But this team is not the same as what that team was. No, I don't think Norm Powell is, is the same. <laughs> not quite. So, this is my projected starting lineup. They might do something a little different, but this is kind of my idea to kind of keep balance on that second unit. So, starters would be Kyle Lowry, Norm Powell, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Mark Gasol. So, you've switched out Danny Green for Norm Powell, lost Kawhi Leonard, throw in OG Ananobi. Big drop-offs there. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it's a situation you've got to deal with. And, and they knew this was coming. Backups... So, backup point guard, and we're assuming Fred Van Fleet's not starting. And there is a world where he starts over Norm Powell, but then it kind of messes up your point guard situation. Um, obviously, Nick Nurse has shown like he can stagger guys fine, but trying to keep it a little more uh, option-based here. Fred Van Fleet and campaign as your backup point guards. <laughs> campaign making a comeback! Man, good for him for sticking in the NBA. I know, right? Finding his way back up there, because... Can you believe he was a lottery pick? Yes. 14th overall? Yes, I can. Because you saw it. Because uh, I saw it happen with my own two eyes. It's great. Um, backup wings are going to be Pat McCall, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, uh, Terrence Davis, an undrafted uh, free agent out of Ole Miss, and Malcolm Miller. Backup power forward is going to be Stanley Johnson and reigning G League MVP Chris Boucher. And then backup bigs, Serge Ibaka, and then their second-round draft pick, Dewan Hernandez. So, again, a questionable backup situation. Yeah. Similar to Philly. Like, okay, you feel okay about the starters, but then once you get to the backups, you're like, there's a reason Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Stanley Johnson signed for minimum one-year yeah. deals. So you get into kind of those situations a little bit with this team. So that's why broad projection outlook probably like best case is a five seed right like there's just a lot of good teams at the top of the east may not be super deep but between philly milwaukee boston brooklyn indiana miami maybe there's six teams so you're gonna jump two of them Again, we're assuming no major injuries. I, I don't think so. So that's why I'm saying at best, this is a five seed. This is Nick Nurse out coaches some dudes. Kyle Lowry keeps riding a playoff high. Pascal does nuts, just bonkers things on the basketball oh, court. We'll talk about him in a moment. That's why I think five seeds, best case scenario. But more realistically, they're fighting for one of the last couple playoff spots. Their ceiling's probably somewhere, or their realistic outcome's probably somewhere in that 7 to 10 spot in the East. 10's probably the worst case scenario, unless early in the year they're struggling and they go full fire sale. Which, not impossible. I feel like that's the most likely outcome for this. Yeah. At least by the trade deadline. And that's one of the big questions for the team. Who will still be on the Toronto Raptors after the trade deadline? Do you have like any guaranteed guys? There's one, team. Pascal Siakam. Yep. Everyone else, I mean, maybe Fred Van Fleet's off limits. 
Um, at least, <laughs> Finals MVP. <laughs> I know. You got that vote. Um, but realistically, yeah, everyone else is kind of out there on the trade block. Even even OG has to be out there just because of his injuries he's he's had over the years. Cause, and he's only like in his third year. And he feels like he's missed two of them. Yeah. So you're right. But everyone else, I, I don't feel good about them still being on this roster. Yeah. I mean, like Kyle Lowry, he's on an expiring deal, right? Yeah. You feel like you need to get maybe something. Maybe Miami would take take mm-hmm. a bite on him yeah. in his last year um, just to make a playoff push. Maybe Minnesota just mm-hmm. wanting to get another point guard in there. I don't know. Pick any team that needs a point guard, and Kyle Lowry could be your guy. Yeah. Marcus All opted into his player contract for 25 25. 26, yeah. Expiring deal. It's very easily movable. Yep. Surge like, is expiring, too. Surge is expiring. You can still get value for these guys as long as they're healthy. Um, and I feel like you can move them fairly easily and just kind of rebuild from there. Yeah. I'll say if you want to try and get draft assets, because Toronto just has not been a fan of the draft uh, past the Pascal Siakam year, um, <laughs> which I, I get it. Um, but this team, you know, at the end of the year, if they do have that fire sale, you could be running out lineups of like <laughs> Fred Van Fleet, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Stanley Johnson, Pascal, and Chris Boucher. Like that could be like a raw, like a starting lineup we see at some point if all things go poorly, which I don't think it'll get that bad. But I could see, you know, trading at least one of the bigs and trading one of the guards whether that's Kyle Lowry or like Norm Powell yeah you know I could just I could see at least one of each of those happening for this team and and it's not a knock on Toronto necessarily like you won the chip but you just you can't recoup losing Kawhi Leonard in free agency without a sign and trade this I mean this is this was gonna happen regardless if they traded yeah. for Kawhi or not DeMar that team had a ceiling and they won the championship without Demar, but they filled in Kawhi. And now Kawhi's gone, so it's time to reset. It's kind of it feels like the Thunder, except they won the championship. Yeah, I know. You know, um, I would like to see Kyle Lowry get at least one victory lap. So like yeah. whatever that looks like, whether it's the the Jimmy twelve games, yeah, for the team, or or yeah, making it more towards the the trade deadline. Yeah, I would too. Um, just you know, maybe keep him in there for when they play Philly or. Yeah, or someone like that. You know? Just something crazy. But I, I kind of like that Kyle Lowry Miami idea. Just if they can't get the Chris Paul thing done this year, and they think Chris Paul in the off season is like more attainable because there's one less year on that contract. <laughs> yeah, let Kyle Lowry finish out this season with Miami, and then go trade for Chris Paul next year. Right. You know, in the off season. That's that's kind of a neat idea. Um, I would not be against that. But then we said we'd hit on it. So what's we've talked about the next step for some guys out there like Jalen, Jason, some others. Let's do that for the, for one more guy, Pascal. What do you think? This is a tough one. Like uh, realistically, like you would think most improved player. That's a big award to win because mm-hmm. he was close. I or no, he like, got it right. Yeah, he yeah, he, he got won. It. Yeah, he got it. He's gonna like he has to be an all star. I think is maybe his next step. And, like, he has the potential to do it. Like, he put in 30-plus points in Game 1 of the NBA yeah. Finals not too long ago. And, like, is it crazy to think this dude could be a potential MVP candidate in, like, a year and a half? 
kind of. Is that too high? I, I think it's a little too high. Um, you're assuming like Toronto's good. And, uh, yeah, that's true. And I'm I'm not quite there on this team. Whether they realistically keep some of these guys around or not, like Kyle and Mark. Um, but I think like a good next step is like 20 plus points yeah. per game. Like I would love to see Pascal average at least nine rebounds. Yeah, I, like that would be great, especially knowing Mark Saul doesn't grab a ton of rebounds. Um, I would love to see Pascal be at nine plus rebounds. I have like an initiator type role where he's at like four plus assist and then a block and a half and a steal. Like to me, like that's n- especially if like there's like we're running all the offense through you. That's very realistic for Pascal. It may be an upper end possibility, but like that's realistic for him. And if he's throwing those numbers out there, like you're going to get an all star nod or at least a lot of votes. Right. So if this team is at least somewhat average in terms of record and he's putting up those numbers yeah that's like that's a good next step for him even if they do like what dallas did and they kind of flame out towards the end of the year on purpose like that that would still be like a successful year for pascal siakam i would love for him to be just like this point forward that's just gonna be awesome like get a rebound snatch a rebound and just run the break yeah like that's my favorite Pascal thing is like he'll do this just like wild run up the court and he has absolutely zero control over anything he's doing mm-hmm. I kind of want him to have like this 2016 Russell Westbrook year where he just goes berserk mm, yes. and just kind of carries this team into the playoffs and probably gets bounced in the first round but I would just love to see that like next step from Pascal he's one of my favorite players to just watch I know it's <sighs> how much can I uh, we get into this all the time how much can a big man like this really carry a team? He's a little more dynamic than most. Yeah. But but he's not quite LeBron either. So He's not like a Ben Simmons or Giannis or no. like LeBron. He doesn't have that kind of playmaking no. or his shots gotten incredible better. On the catch, yeah. Um so maybe that is a like a skill wise next step is doing a little more off the dribble from the perimeter. Yeah. Like and that's that's fairly reasonable to ask. I'm not ask him to be like Steph Curry, but you know, uh, an average or maybe a tick below or above average on pull-ups. So, or one dribble pull-ups maybe. Right. I think that if like they could accomplish that, you could say like at the end of this season, no matter who you have on your roster, like we have a great building block going forward. And then maybe Masai can reshape this team, you know, within the next year or two to get them at least back to good playoff team. That's reasonable. Yeah, I think the rebuild for them could be pretty quick. Quote-unquote rebuild. Because you can get a pick for Mark Gasol. If Serge Ibaka is playing well, you get a pick for him. Mm-hmm. Kyle Lowry, you probably bait whoever into player plus pick because Kyle Lowry has been really good in the playoffs. Yeah. And you can sell that. So like you can repackage those assets and get maybe a disgruntled superstar. Yeah. Who, guess what? You just got one of those and won a championship. Kind of worked. Yep. So, last question. This isn't necessarily a Toronto question, but it very much deals with Toronto, and this will wrap this up for us tonight. So, last year, from the Atlantic Division, four teams made the playoffs. That's nuts. It shows how tough it is. So, maybe it's why the Knicks won 17 games. <laughs> um, we'll blame that's the reason. Um, so, Ryan, if, the, if Vegas says the over-under for this division is three and a half playoff teams, you taking the over or the under? Oof. We talked about this 
right before we start recording, and it really comes down to your opinion of Toronto. Yeah. Like, that's it. I think I'm going to take the under, though. I don't think... I, I think, like I said earlier, when we started talking about Toronto, I think they're going to start sailing these guys off. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see them making the playoffs, or wanting to make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I'm also going to take the under, so it's just Boston, Brooklyn, Philly. And yeah, I think Toronto is probably going to end up more in like that 9-10 spot rather than the 7-8. So just missing the playoffs. Yeah, right. Kind of like in that Dallas, New Orleans model. And start building towards a different direction. And that's okay. You win a championship, you can hold on to that forever. Yeah. And you will always have that. You'll have it on the back of your jersey forever yep. now. Host that banner. Oh yeah, we ring ring night's gonna be so weird. It's like, yeah. and the finals MVP is in LA. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Uh, yeah, that's gonna be real awkward. Do you think they cheer him when he comes back to Toronto? Yeah. I mean, you you when you trade for him, he wasn't gonna stay. Yeah. You hoped that the success would make him want to stay, but he was never destined for there. He got you a chip. He did his business. Now he gets to go do his business somewhere else, and you still have a championship, right? So like, that's end of true. The day, you got it. He was like the championship assassin in a way. He was mercenary, however you want to say. Um, Matt, this has been a lot of fun. A little rusty getting back into it after vacation. Yeah, well, you know, once we get into the Northwest Division here in a couple of days, oh we have to talk about the bloodbath that lies in the West. You'll be, you'll get into it. Do we have to talk about the Northwest we Division? We have to. <laughs> Can we just leave one team off the Northwest no. Division? No. <laughs> we know what's going to happen, Matt. We do? Are you I, sure? I do. All right. Anyways, uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook. We greatly appreciate that. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Couch GM Podcast. Uh, And we will see you back later this week for the Northwest Division. I don't know. Cry fest. I don't know (laughs) how else to say that. Uh, See you guys back next week. Yeah.